This episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast is sponsored by AWS Energy. AWS brings the most advanced and secure cloud services and deep industry expertise across energy, utilities, and sustainable energy sectors. Together with a broad partner ecosystem, AWS is accelerating the energy transition through practical innovations to deliver energy efficiently, reliably, sustainably, and responsibly. Learn more at aws.amazon.com energy. Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Joe Batier. This is not my typical entry into the episode. That means it's something special, something different. This week's episode is with Joel Gray of DTech Rotary Steerable. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything about the show itself, but after recording, Joel was kind enough to tell me that DTech wanted to do something special for the podcast, something special for the fans and the audience. And so they are actually going to give away a cooler. This is different, and I wanted to make it special for those who do listen in to the podcast and listen to all the episodes. So if you noticed on social media, there's no big, huge announcement coming from me. It is really just this here at the beginning of the episode. So all of you listening, super excited for you. I hope you enter. I hope you win the cooler. And if not, hopefully we're going to keep doing more of these giveaways and more exciting stuff coming up in the future. Now, here's what you need to do to enter the giveaway. You need to answer two trivia questions and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Those trivia questions are going to be, what is the number of countries that Joel mentions that DTech is in, in terms of where they have sent their equipment, where they have been part of operations? And then, how many geothermal wells did Joel mention that they have recently been a part of as they are getting into and helping open up the geothermal industry? So those are the two questions. How many countries and how many geothermal wells? And then make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You're probably wondering... Where can you find this information? Where can you find this survey? And where can you find the entry form? There is a Google Forms link that is in the show notes. That is the only place it's going to be. It is going to be in the show notes. You have to go there to enter. I will go there when this episode drops to make sure that it works. If it doesn't work, I will add a link to, to a, a LinkedIn post or something but it should, it should be in the show notes and it should be working. So 
with that, let's get to today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Joel Gray, Vice President of Western Hemisphere at DTEC Rotary Steerable. As you may be able to guess, DTEC Rotary Steerable provides steering tools for drilling. What does that mean, and what does that have to do with the energy transition? We are going to find out today. So, Joel... Thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would, please share with me in the audience your background and a quick introduction to DTEC. So thank you, Joe, for having me today. Uh, I really look forward to having this opportunity. As you mentioned, I'm the Vice President of the Western Hemisphere for DTEC. Uh, one thing that I also lead and look forward to part of this conversation is uh, DTEC is, is a part of uh, a Scholar Blackman's entities and, and corporations that uh, portfolio that they own. And so uh, not only being the Western Hemisphere Vice President for DTEC, I'm also a part of uh, the, or the lead for Scholar Blackman's Geothermal Initiative, um, which we can talk about a little bit later about of our parent company. But as far as DTEC goes, um, we are the number one global independent rotary steerable provider. We currently operate in about 18 different countries. So uh, global is, is, is a term that we take seriously and proud of, of, of our expansions being an, an independent provider. Um, about the technology though, um, so those familiar with rotary steerable, we're a push the bit system, uh, completely hydraulically actuated, which is, is, is somewhat unique to us. We have full 3D steering capacity, which we can talk about why that relates or why that's important um, as, as we get into our conversation today. Um, but, but what DTEC does is we've found solutions in the drilling space uh, to solve today's industry's problems, uh, whether that be steering precisions, whether that be energy transfer problems in terms of drilling energy, um, or you know complexities of 3D wellbore tra- tra- uh, geometry. Um, all of those things are in our realms or our expertise in which we specialize in. Yeah. Thank you for that introduction. And there's definitely a lot there that that we can dig into. And we're going to dig into that in a bit as we as we dive in. I want to make sure we are all on the same page, though. I know I have a, a varied audience and rotary steerable is a very specific part of the entire energy ecosystem. So with that in mind, can you give us that 30,000 foot view of what what is rotary steerable? Absolutely. So rotary steerable um, in, the, in the most simplest form is an autonomous steering tool to a, a increase drilling efficiency through continuous rotation, per precise steering capabilities, uh, eliminating a lot of challenges in traditional drilling environments. So what does that mean entirely? Um, drilling continues to expand its difficulties or its aspirations of where we're wanting to go, whether it's ex- extended reach laterals, um, high wellbore deviation uh, in the intermediate section. So it, it is a tool uh, consisting of both electrical and me- uh, uh, mechanical components um, that takes commands from from the rig uh, to steer precisely to the well plan, whether that be uh, inclination control, azimuthal control, inclination and azimuthal control uh, to achieve, um, you know, ultimately the, in, the end user's goals of the well plan. 
Um, sometimes that is a very precise window of, uh, of a 10-foot box, and imagine how difficult that can be, uh, being two miles below the Earth's surface and two miles sideways trying to hit a 10-foot target. Um, but it also relates to um, drilling efficiencies in terms of we can improve um, rate of penetration or how fast we drill um, through increased efficiencies of, of not having to slide or having to do steering corrections because uh, our tool enables that to be done autonomously. So we can de deliver a precise and um, accurate steering placement while also increasing drilling efficiencies. Um, we do that by reducing tortuosity or kinks in the wellbore. It's a much straighter, truer hole than, than, uh, than kind of the detours pass of conventional drilling practices. Um, lower imp environmental impact, which I'm sure we'll talk more about today, um, by reducing days on well. You know, the, the less time we're spending in operation, uh, the better it is for the environment, better it is for the, uh, for the overall operation, which also goes into cost effectiveness. Um, the more time that we, um, the more time that we can save in terms of uh, on the drilling aspect, which is, which is truly upfront operational cost and get that well faster producing, uh, ultimately is better for the for everybody involved in the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me let me jump in here because I had this idea mm -hmm. as you were talking, going back to my childhood, playing yeah. Cruising USA on the Nintendo sixty four, and the one thing I was always thinking whenever I was driving is stay between the lines, stay as quick and as straight and as fast as possible. And ultimately, whenever I would lose is when I started veering and swerving and, and driving like a, like a crazy person ah. and running into things. And so taking that full circle now, talking about the well, what you're saying, and, and it, it kind of is in the name, you're a rotary steerable. So if I'm making the simplest analogy... Could we say that this really is the steering wheel for the well? Absolutely, and it's uh, it's wild that you made that comparison because great game, right? You always pick the Lamborghini to go the fastest it possibly can, but then the Lamborghini or or whatever super sports car it was, <laughs> you could never steer. You could never turn efficiently. You always had to slow down. You always had to make corrections, or if you're spinning out, you have to you have to let the game correct you, right? And so. In its simplest form, yes, a rotary steerable is the steering well, a steering wheel, the and it can still today be used as the steering wheel. Where the technology, where the demands of our industry is going, though, um, you can still get from point A to B manually steering the steering well. But where DTEC and rotary steerable enables you to do is. To have an autonomous ability for cruise control, for lane correction, for collision correction, um, all of the um, features that we're so comfortable with today that I wish we had in the game, you know, imagine uh, having lane correction in that game or um, being able to go at max speed while also being able to stay as straight as possible. And that's, that's ultimately where the rotary steerable lives and that's ultimately where, where uh, the, the application or the environment that we live in is going, right? There's 
we have already accomplished all of the simple things, right? Uh, at this point, it's it's how do we push the limits and get more complex? And as you look at at the car industry, right? Um, you know, the Tesla is is really um, above and beyond other car ability, uh, other car manufacturers in terms of the lane detection and anti-collision. So think of rotary steerable uh, as a Tesla living in that game, right? Uh, how 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 convenient would that be? Um, so yes, you can go and you can go at max speed with the Lamborghini, but you also have the steering capability and the anti-collision um, uh, anti-collision autonomy um, that that you wouldn't have previously before. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you one thing that that gets brought up very often. I, I love the the that ten foot box. That's what we're targeting. And the other aspect of this is that we are doing this. 10,000 feet into the ground and then 10,000 feet further out. So we're talking about something almost to 20, 20,000 feet away. Oh. And we're trying to hit something that is, that is pretty small. Absolutely. So that makes it very difficult in its, in its own right. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, as we're about to expand our conversations in more geothermal, um, that is something that as oil and gas, um, technology providers have great experience, right, is, is that enhanced steering capability or that precision um, that is so pertinent to the economics and the success of our industry. Um, yeah, I mean, the, to, to go back to the car analogy, right, uh, the, the one benefit that we didn't talk about is you get to see what's in front of you. Um, unfortunately, in drilling, we'll never see what's down there. We, we have great guesses, right? There's very capable and intellectual equipment and geology and, and geologists um, that can conduct uh, can predict and conduct uh, studies of what's down there um, but you know the the precision um, that that is demanded of today's um, environments and, and industry is is something that that ultimately rotary steerable allows that enhancement to become reality uh, as you said I mean think about having your iPhone um, you know, trying to trying to use your iPhone four miles away from you. Um, how how precise and how accurately could you do that? Um, obviously, it's not possible, but um, that is things that rotary steerable is, is truly doing right. Where we're sending commands to our tool downhole um, and, and expecting it to deliver the results that are needed. Um, and, and honestly, as far as computing power and things like that, we're talking in similar realms, right? And and that's that's what's so unique um, to the electrical and mechanical nuances of rotary steerable, right? Is uh, from a computing uh, technology standpoint, right? We have to have something you know very very complex. Um, but then on a mechanical standpoint, um, we're, we're we're sticking hundreds of thousands of pounds and spinning it, um, you know, 300, 400 RPMs, and, and needing it to work while it's colliding with rock. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it is high tech, but also high robustness in, in what it is actually doing. And I want to touch on a few of the other comments that you made that you are reducing the tortuosity of the well. And then you also pointed out the fact that this is, this is ultimately drilling wells faster. Mm. Why, why does that matter? Yeah, so 
speed, you know, ultimately time is money, right? So uh, the more the more time we spend drilling, the longer it takes. You're exposing yourself to unpredicted risk, right? Whether that be well bore stability, um, you know, any any time that we're spending longer on a well uh, than planned um, is, is ultimately exposure to additional risk and additional cost. Um, so improving spe- speed of speed and efficiencies um, is ultimately the, what's the most important is you're saving time and money. Um, but also what's on the efficiency side to then correlate into the tortuosity. Um, so for those not familiar or, 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 or don't know much about wellbore tortuosity, right, is anytime we drill a hole in the ground, we, we, we then replace that hole with steel pipe or casing. And um, uh, so imagine, as we've talked about several times, drilling 10,000 feet downward in a corkscrew pattern, how rough that could be on that metal pipe or how rough that could be on tools or pumps that are about to go into the well to further enhance production. Um, production is, is ultimately how everybody makes money. And so how we make that as smooth as possible uh, and as efficient as possible is ultimately going to make uh, whatever we're drilling for the most profitable venture that's going to be. Okay. Yeah. So basically the tortuosity there, that matters because how cleanly the well is drilled ultimately will determine how how productive that well can be. Is that is that a good way to explain it? Not in terms of like the oil, the gas, the the geothermal energy production is going to do uh, is going to be in terms of volume. It's not going to affect the per se volume, but what it is going to affect is all the equipment needed um, to produce that volume. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen a pump jack in their life, right? What a what that horse looks like at surface is connected by you know thousands of feet of pipe below the ground, right? Uh, or or oil and gas people know it as rods, right? And so. Um, if you think about running, you know, straight pipe or those rods down hole, down a corkscrew, obviously those, those rods or those pipes or pumps for that matter are going to wear out faster because they're rubbing against that versus if it's a very straight, clean well bore, which is what rotary steerable and, uh, provides, um, you're going to have extended pump life or extended rod life, um, uh, for, for that element. And that's why it's important is the cost associated with the production that you're talking about, obviously you want to have the most economical value um, or what it's going to take to get that production. Um, so the, the as, as drilling the hole is, is often thought of as, is, you know, the, the necessary means to get what you're wanting to go for, um, how you effectively drill that well and how efficiently you drill that well and how precise you drill that well is ultimately going to either help you or hurt you in the long end because uh, associated costs with a, with a, a tortuous or crooked wellbore um, is going to add those costs and ultimately hurt profitability. Yeah. Yep. And one thing, another thing that we, we've talked around, we've been focused on the profitability side, yeah. drilling faster, drilling cleaner, having less, less topside equipment burning out because of the, the added stress on it all of that ultimately drives profitability, but it also drives the environmental aspect. Absolutely. Because if you can drill faster and have have less equipment burning out, right. then you can have a better, a longer life well, a lower, a lower environmentally 
impactful well. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, to, so to the environmental standpoint and, and as oil and gas, we, we've historically done a, a bad job of, you know, the billions of dollars that are annually invested into uh, HS&E or health safety in the environment. And, um, you know, to talk about the drilling exposure and the impact on the environment that, that we're talking about, yes, the profitability of going faster, but, you know, ultimately we're, we're operating on a rig, right? Uh, and, and that rig is typically run on, um, you know, some form of diesel or natural gas. Um, and, and ultimately there's been a, a ton of initiative uh, on cleaner energy consumption from a rig. Um, but regardless, it's still requiring an energy source to power um, that. And so obviously the, uh, the quicker we can do that and the less time that rig is operating or or expanding upon its footprint to to operate more wells um, to 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 offset that energy output um, is, is ultimately one of the biggest elements of of why drilling efficiencies is so important beyond cost. Yep. Yeah. So I think it. I think we've we've made a good case here on rotary steerable, the value of it, and and where and how it can be used from a oil and gas perspective, yep. but, and, and everything we're talking about as a geologist, I am resonating. I hear all of it. I am right there with you from the geothermal side though, because that's, yes. that's where I come from geothermal. This is something that, that I understand. We want nice clean wells, lots of pumping and, and all of those challenges are similar challenges we face, but also I think we face additional challenges in that we are drilling sometimes hard rock, sometimes very hot rock, sometimes drilling into, into very significant fracture zones that are just like, just not, not clean and easy to drill. So right now I'm rambling. Let me get to my question. The, the idea of, taking technology like rotary steerable and and what has been developed for 20 plus years in the oil and gas industry and applying that into oil and gas and CCS or not oil and gas into geothermal and CCS that is a hot topic right now a lot of people are talking about getting into geothermal or starting geothermal divisions and and that as you pointed out earlier that is part of your role Right. Here with DTech and and with the with the larger Scholar Blackman. Yeah. Scholar Blackman. So with with all that in mind, and from your perspective, what are some of these challenges that you see and you're like, oh, I've got the solution. I know how to fix that. Yeah. So as you mentioned, yes, part of my role uh, at DTech and and our parent companies at Scholar Blackman is is the importance and the visibility uh, of, of energy diversification. Um, I think it's very apparent in today's world um, that energy diversification is happening. You know, whether you support it, whether you don't support it, it is happening. And uh, what's, what is, why geothermal and why oil and gas truly have a bond or relationship is you have a full industry of capable individuals, um, whether that be uh, on location personnel to engineering to technology developer to technology developers such as Scholar Blackman or DTech um, that that is very transferable. The forthcomings or the challenges that we see um, 
that is ultimately in our wheelhouse and very attainable, right, from a, from a simplest form, oil and gas technology providers, we, we're there to solve a solution of, and that's enhancing and, and uh, improving and optimizing drilling efficiencies, right? So the nice thing that CCS or geothermal has is you have, you know, over 100 years of experience on how do we improve that hard rock? How do we improve um, the efficiencies of drilling those faulted zones or those hot zones? The challenges, however, and, and this is very, I think what it, where a lot of people are really struggling with in this diversification process is where does everybody fit in and, and what is the ultimate goal? Um, as I'm new to this space in geothermal and, and I'm learning and I'm enjoying what I'm learning, but it seems like there is very different ways to, to skin the cat, right? Or are we talking about enhanced geothermal or you know intersecting wells with each other? Are we talking about closed loop systems? Um, all of these have its nuances, but most of what you're saying is a common term is, is it's hot. And uh, obviously we know why it needs to be warm for the energy, for the energy to be produced. Um, but, but that is something that on the level of, of a broad spectrum that oil and gas technology is not holistically there yet, right? We have niches across the world and, and even here in the US where, where hot hole temperature exposure is, is, is a significant challenge. Um, the investment behind requiring uh, hot hole technology is is much more significant than than uh, than standard tools. And and to put numbers into that, right, most of the industry in oil and gas technology is rated for 150C or 302F, right. And uh, like I said, there's certain segments in the world, and there's certain segments in, in even the U.S. where where we're really pushing that limits up to 175C. And for the geothermal space and for the oil and gas space to truly kind of bring this bond together is, A, what is this temperature we're chasing? You know, you talk to, you talk to certain people and it's, hey, our drilling environment's only 200F, right? That's very, very attainable and very common grounds for us today. And then you hear other people saying, hey, we're chasing 400C or 300C. And, and obviously that is light years away from where we are today. And, uh, and, and so how we, how we transfer the technology, right? There's a very clear one-for-one -one path. There's drilling technology available and there's drilling spe uh, specifications currently available. And living in that realm should not be very difficult. But from what, from what oil and gas needs to transfer, um, that is, is really understanding what, what we commonly talk about is what is the KPIs or what is the best mm -hmm. practices. We need help from the geothermal side is truly what are we trying to accomplish and where is where are we at today where do we want to be in three years where do we want to be in 10 years um and, and scaling that you know we didn't we didn't start off drilling four mile laterals um which is what we're currently doing today right we you know five years ago we were drilling one mile laterals and then we as, as technology progressed and drilling efficiencies and practices and kpis changed we started really expanding upon that capability um it may be five years, more like eight years. But anyway, I think that is, if, if we can take a similar approach and understanding to the CCS and geothermal side of, hey, what are we capable of today? Let's get good at it. And along the way, let's, let's further push the envelope because this is, that skill set is something that is plentiful right now. And um, 
with that being said is how do we profitably do that uh, collaboratively <clears throat> and, and and from a geothermal space is there is there opportunity to do that um, yeah yeah i've got i've got a question there as you talk about that it 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 made me think of um there there's there's a company they've got leases out in out in Oregon and the so there there was a lot of effort put in developing enhanced geothermal system technology the field itself was too hot to really run a whole lot of electronics yep. so it's in that 275 to 3 350 celsius range right recently they have come out with more more papers and now one of these big ideas is called super hot rock Wow. Jumping into the 450 up to 500 Celsius, trying to get to super critical conditions. And what their paper stated was essentially that the drilling for, for that lower temperature, they don't see a profitable pathway. And so they said, well, if we can, if we can 10x the value of the wells, then it's worth putting in two to three times more to drill those wells. This is almost the exact opposite of what you're saying yes. in that you don't jump from vertical wells to four mile laterals. Right. You go vertical to deviated to one to two to three miles. Yes. I guess the, the question is how, I don't know what the question is there, but it it's interesting to see that dichotomy. Yeah. And I think the the question is how do you how do you go through that growth strategy and that that technology growth while continuing to be able to be profitable and and frankly continue to have a a sustainable business if the entire time you're just developing right pushing the envelope for new technology. Right. No, and and that's a very good point, and and that's <clears throat> that's kind of part of the conversation, right? Is from an oil and gas side, it's yeah, let's scale this to within our current means of technology. Um, shouldn't take a, a significant amount of capital. Shouldn't take a significant amount of changing how we operate on a day to day basis. Um, but the the end user or the 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 company you're talking about saying is. We're going to go for broke almost um, because that's what's ult ultimately going to make the most sense. And, and trust me, oil and gas have had the same, the same mindset or mantra that that's going there. And and really, 450, 500 C, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 450, 500 C, the ultimate hot, ultra hot rock. I mean, when we're talking about electronics, you know, I, I made the comparison to an iPhone earlier, right? I mean. Think about throwing your iPhone in the oven, um, much less 400 or 500 C. I'm, I'm an ignorant American, so I don't entirely know what that even translates to, but um, that really hot is really what that means. And so can we get there? The other side of oil and gas is nothing's impossible in our industry, right? Uh, I think that's the, the swagger uh, and the mindset that we all have. But at the same time, understanding where they're wanting to go is, is the first first step right uh, are we going to spend millions to billions of dollars developing 
200 C tools when the actual scope was 400 C, right? And, and I think that's where the collaboration from the geothermal side really needs to be focused is, is on the education side of it all, right? Um, is, is what are we trying to do and, and how can we collaboratively get there? Because uh, as I said, we have technically technical and capable uh, resources to do it, but we need to understand what the goal is. Um, but, but the jumping in the deep end with no ladder at this point is, is, is going to be a challenging task. Is it possible? I hope so one day, but uh, I don't know if there's really any oil and gas technology that could make it there or any electronic component for that matter could get there. Um, but really where I'm going and I think where we're going to go with this is, you know, the geothermal space, um, you know, energy diversification, as I mentioned, is happening. Um, obviously, a lot of oil and gas people are are rooting for geothermal because, again, the translatable skills that we talked about, and um, and and the investment that I think required um, for the geothermal space is not entirely there yet. The investment and the commitment, right? We we all see the the added benefits of economic. Uh, uh, environmental impact and and you know the energy diversification versus you know independent energy independence um and i think that is something that ultimately everybody can get behind um but the one thing that i think unfortunately for geothermal is is it doesn't have the amount of investment that you know other in, other energy or oil and gas specifically has had yeah. behind it in a hundred year history of of learning, right? Um, yeah. Geothermal, I know it's not new, but at the same time, the renewed focus and commitment of more people is there, and we're expecting to say, see the same benefits, the same rate of return, the same same collaboration or same impact that we see from oil and gas production. I think there's possible and there's a pathway to get there. Are we there yet? But at the same time, putting one toe in and one toe out, we're never going to get there. And I think that's where that commitment um, from a global level, but as well as a financial um, emphasis, right, is is the investment needed, right? Yeah. Um, we're not going to get to 400C tomorrow, right? But yeah. if we continue to have continuous investment and continuous focus is, hey, if we only have to drill one 400C well, all right, let's figure it out that and how does that economically make sense for everybody? Because yeah. that that is ultimately how we how we accomplish this. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I, I think that that is, that was great. My, my very bad question turned into you answering that one and the next one of like, what are the solutions? How do we get there? And I think your, your point about additional investment and collaboration, I think that's so important because if, if you look out from if you, if you take a step back and look at the geothermal industry, try to map out everything, you see certain companies getting large investments and, and these are public, public facing large announcements and you can basically chase, see where the money's going. Yep. And those ones with the large investments, they're the ones who are also then making further announcements of, of energy production or commercial projects that are getting signed and and these are also going in not only in Europe but also the US and and they're making these announcements kind of also worldwide 
and it's it's ultimately investment and collaboration with with oil and gas companies and with with the energy infrastructure as a whole. It's not just we're sitting in our geothermal silo, we're going to figure it out. They are going out there and finding ways to work together yep. to solve the problems. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it's it's not a you know, if it tales all the time is if there's if there's future and there's opportunity, you know, investment and focus will will on ultimately get us there. And that's that's kind of the basis of this conversation, right? Is um, you know, to kind of steer it back to DTEC. Um, DTEC has had some 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 success already in the geothermal space, and, and as far as, as Scholar Blackman goes, you know, uh, honestly, we we need to do a better job of marketing our our participation in geothermal wells, you know, whether that be DTEC rotary steerable, uh, Bico mud motors, uh, DSI circulation subs, or well boss frack plugs, um, you know, you're talking about that collaboration and that investment, uh, whether in, we're investing capital or we're investing tools, um, ultimately, again, that is how we're going to drive this profitability and, and compare it to this. And, and ultimately, how are we going to drive Energy diversification is one thing, but how do we energy diversify on a on a true clean energy level? But also, how do we diversify on a profitability level? Um, you know, I think that's that's something that um, you know we all we all are focused on, and how do we find that solution? And, and that's kind of the collaboration that that is needed. You know, um, as I mentioned, oil and gas spends billions of dollars each year on environmental uh, protection, environmental uh, training. Um, how do we how do we do whatever we do as clean as possible? Um, furthering that investment, right? And that, that's a tier of, of of every company is HS and E. And so, uh, furthering that investment from that focal point, while also transferring our established uh, skills, is really what's going to bridge that gap. Um, but, but to talk a little bit again um, about to tr- kind of bridge the gap of what we're talking about, right? We're, we're DTEC, geothermal, et cetera. You know, the, the wells we've drilled so far in, in Europe and in portions of Africa, um, you know, what we were able to do is, is provide, um, you know, some local municipalities in certain countries the, the ability to go drill for this energy form, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the rig or the equipment that they had available to them pre- previously uh, didn't enable them to go tap this energy source. And so uh, between the, the, the Scholar Blackman Oilfield Equipment Companies, between Bico, DTEC, DSI, we were able to enable them with technology to go tap this energy source and um, do it effectively, do it efficiently and, 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 and um, you know, profitably, I would, I would assume at this point, because uh, the projects are still going. Yeah. You know, to further talk about investment, right? Uh, and that, that comes with capital, of course, but that also comes with, uh, as the technology, as I said, um, what's unique about DTEC and, and our sister companies involved in this is our niche or ability to be flexible, to be limber, to make um, custom designs um, or application-specific designs or solutions for this, right? Um, this was kind of our first project involving uh, you know a true scale geothermal project and of course we, we, we learn from that we take the analysis from our tool and, um, and and further apply that to the next project and that's again kind of those stepping stones that we've done since we've existed is ultimately how we're going to continue to enhance the geothermal space 
Yeah. Yeah, that sounds very exciting and, and very, very cool. And, and really kind of what we're talking about here is pushing, advancing, and, and sending sending further technology into the ecosystem. Yes. Now, you've, you've mentioned projects in Europe, Africa. Um, can you talk about any of those publicly? Are there any specifics that you, that you can give us? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, on the simplest form, um, the equipment they had as far as, you know, a rig um, and the challenge of the application um, historically made this very difficult, right? And so uh, we partnered with a, with a local service provider with, with all of our technology and, and enabled to do that by, you know, they didn't have the rig to deal with the torque downhole, right? Uh, rotary steerable and downhole mud motors assist with reducing torque and, and transferring that energy into failing rock. Um, so really at the scale of the project is we successfully drilled five geothermal wells in, in Europe. And so that's, uh, as I talked about though, that wasn't a, uh, a 400C well, you know, those were very attainable, scalable projects um, that I believe we were chasing, you know, producing hot water, right? And hot water to heat uh, or produce or, or energize, you know, like local municipality type projects, right? Very small case study, not a huge scale of a project, right? We didn't go drill spindle top of geothermal, but at the same time, this transition was almost seamless, right? Mm -hmm. it, whether we were drilling for, for oil and gas or whether we were drilling for, for geothermal, we were solving a drilling problem, which was energy transfer and, and the, the applicational challenges of geology. And we were able to provide technology to get that. Mm -hmm. And now, like I said, there's five more geothermal um, wells in the environment or the ecology that you talked about that is producing geothermal energy that yep. historically would not be there, right? And that's that's a very small win in terms of, of the scale, but such a large, and what we see as accomplishment is because what we what what it does is for us and, and geothermal seas is like, hey, there's there's a pathway to success here and, and there's we, we have to incrementally win along the way Right, so all right, we pushed the envelope a little bit on this one. What's the next envelope that we can push? And like I said, at the end of the day, when we're talking about energy diversification, right, we have five more wells now, right? Yeah. And, and what's the next process and procedure and and uh, project that we can get there to to get five more? And and that com compounding success is how I think we're going to get there. Yeah. The other side of it all, um, you know that that I, I sat at a, a geothermal conference uh, about two months ago, and something that I think is is very interesting um, as far as uh, oil and gas collaboration with geothermal uh, energy, right? Is we know that where hot rock exists, right? We we know where it is for the most part, and um, you know a, a byproduct of producing oil and gas is water right and, and and geothermal typically needs needs water to produce their energy source and so uh an, an interesting thought and a, an interesting future that i think is, is is very possible right is production water from oil and gas is obviously um not consumable or usable can we use that production water um, to further our recycling, further reducing our environmental impact, to pr further produce energy, and that I think that is, uh, I think that is a very promising idea if it can be executed. Obviously, land constraints and things like that exist, um, but can't further 
transferring our abilities in the same field of where we are today, can we diversify those fields, right? I mean, uh, you know, typically we're oil and gas and, and water are coming out of production wells. Can we put that water back in the ground and produce more energy out of that? And, um, and, and that's just further utilizing the technology that, that we can collaborate on. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I think that's a, there's a lot that we could go on that and talk about it. I like the idea, though, we are, we are running a little, little long in the tooth here. I like the idea of ending on that idea of we've got five more wells in the ground that has advanced not only the geothermal ecosystem, but also what is capable in the geothermal ecosystem. And those, those small, small little wins will ultimately, hopefully, add up to a 400 sea well in the ground. Absolutely. It, it's not going to be today, not going to be tomorrow, but hopefully we see that path. We're closer today than we were yesterday. Exactly. And that's, uh, th- that's a win, right? And yeah. that's, uh, th- that's something, and I know we're running long, and unfortunately you gave me a microphone, so I get to, <laughs> uh, with the background in sales, I, I, I'm comfortable talking, right? But uh, I think the breaking down some barriers and really becoming allies in this space is not only needed, but I don't see why it's not possible or why, um, why we're not going that direction faster. And I think that is that collaboration is, Hey, we're, we're going to go have, this is the drilling project, right? At the, at the core, um, whether we're drilling for geothermal energy, we're drilling for, for milk, you know, we are, we are drilling, and I think that partnership and that focus and that intent, the faster we do that and become that allies is the faster that this energy diversification on a scalable and economical pathway happens. And, uh, and, and I look forward to seeing how it, how it happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, I want to transition into our final questions. These are the questions I ask all of my guests. That first question being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm not a big reader. I'll first start that. Uh, I'm much more of a podcast guy, so thanks for having me on here. Um, but a book that, per se, is impactful to my life um, is The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Um, I've read it. It's the only book that is more than, you know, a couple of pages that I can say I've read more than once um, in different phases of life. And it, it really just, it's focused around living your life with a purpose, obviously that's the title, but also your perspective on day-to-day challenges, day-to-day adversity, um, and, and really your mindset around that. Um, so that's, as far as a book that's impacted me truly, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports guy, so I love, you know, reading autobiography type books, but you know, that's, that's an impactful book. And then on a lighter side, I have a newborn at home. So Dada by Jimmy Fallon is, um, is one we push at the, at the gray household. Cause, um, you know, I would love, I'd love to be the first words of Dada. So, um, you know, on the lighter side, I'll, I'll, I'd say that. Yep. I, I found out about that Dada book after my son was about three. Oh man. I didn't know about it. And it was definitely not Dada was as his first word. And then I was like, oh, I could add a book that made this possible. Oh, yeah. But definitely a good one. I have read it since then. Very funny. And definitely The Purpose Driven Life is another good recommendation. So now the next question, 
how do we get to net zero? Yeah, um, and that's such a weighted question, right? And, and we've talked about it, right? And so from a, on a high level standpoint and encompassing our discussion today, how do we get to net zero? Uh, I think it's understanding the goal is net zero, right? We know the direction that we want to go. Um, with that being said, we've put a lot of pressure on ourselves of you, you see people making announcements of 2035 and 2050, right? And, and we're talking about successfully drilling some of these wells for the first time, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're like 15 years away from that, right? Yeah. So how do we get to next zero? In my opinion is how do we affordably scale, store, and consume diversified energy on a gross level, right? Um, you know, there's all, obviously alternative energies out there um, that aren't oil and gas. And, and like I said, whether we like it or not, it's coming. Um, we root for the geothermal space. And I think, uh, I think from what we see is economic or environmental impact as well as economical impact, that, that does have the highest upside. So how do we get there? Um, you know, from a from a holistic level, it's it's kind of what we this whole conversation is. How do we collaborate and get there? But I think the other side of this needs to be a global focus. Um, as much as you and I can say the importance of of energy diversification, right? On a global level, we still need to be focused on how do we do this and, and again f affordably and scalability is going to be the most important element of that um, and, and we got to start start now to really achieve those goals and uh, you know the other side of it all and, and this may be not the, the the prettiest comment for your for your uh, for your podcast since this is a very geothermal uh, focused um, conversation and, and like I said, I, I do think that's that's a, a clear path towards future. But you know, from an oil and gas standpoint, you know, natural gas is a very clean um, clean fuel source at this point, right? Um, at the same time, it still has the word gas in it, so it's viewed <laughs> negatively. Um, but how do I think the goal of net zero is is how do we get cleaner and how do we reduce our footprint, right? So. You know whether we start by you know creating infrastructure because I think geothermal is lacking significant I infrastructure as well. You know, how do we create infrastructure of of getting more towards natural gas consumption and and, and with a clear path of how do we get more towards um, geothermal energy consumption as well? Right, all are cleaner steps without without substantial changes that are are required. Um, whether that be you know, how, how do we get geothermal energy produced in Europe to Africa? Or how do we get geothermal energy from the U.S., you know, down to the jungles of Latin America, right? I, I, we've, we've been able to do that with oil and gas at this point. Um, I think that part of it all is, is where a lot of focus and energy needs to be spent as well. How do we get to this energy source? How do we produce it? But then also how do we scale it is, is, is very real conversations and as soon as the sooner we figure that out is is how we achieve that goal of net zero. I like it. I think that's I think that is the a very good observation that we know what we want to get to and really really what you've just done is you've broken it down into 
key questions, basically setting the goalpost for us, saying, first we need to figure out this, then this, then this. And I think that's a that is is what we need to do. Right. That's a it's a great answer. Now, the last one of the final questions, you actually get to ask me a question. <laughs> so thank you. Um yeah, so we've talked all about um you know, the oil and gas collaboration to geothermal, how does that transition look like? You know, what what is tools and technology such as DTEC or BICO or DSI, what we can add bring to the table? But from a geothermal's perspective, what is what is what is that perspective of transition, diversification, commercial viable viability between each other look like from your side? Uh, and I think that's really what we need as well. And so from your perspective and in, in a geothermal lens, what does that look like from you? Yeah, I think that that you really hit it on the head earlier when you when you were talking about the the investment and the collaboration side in that we we have challenges in geothermal that we need to overcome. Some of those are are very, very big challenges, like being able to drill and produce fluids that are 400 degrees Celsius. But then some of them are, what I will say, are simple challenges in that we just need to be able to go and effectively and cheaply drill miles upon miles of of wells for district heating systems. Mm. And if we could convert all of the natural gas for a city block into or the the current heating system mm. for a city block into geothermal heat pumps and a district heating system, that would make that would make gains on this discussion of growing geothermal and geothermal's influence on on this net zero goal. And I realize that that goes against what you said, that we should first go to natural gas. And I think there's a there is that dichotomy of of trying to understand how how to work together, how to seek out those solutions. Yeah. Because I think there are are different solutions. Because the four hundred C is going to require in my mind, that's going to require different solutions than drilling a district heating system yep. or or drilling drilling some some lower temperature wells. Right. So there's there's there are different questions that are being an, asked, but that goes to your point of getting back to my answer of we need more investment and we need collaboration because mm-hmm. that answer for the district heating system that may already exist. Versus the 400C question that requires a lot of bright minds and a lot of people with a lot of different disciplines working on it. Right. And you put out a good point, right? And in, in the, um, you know, the transition of natural gas to geothermal, right? Is that the pathway? Maybe, maybe not. But I think collaboratively, right, where the same goal is, is the cleaner, right? We're, mm. we're can we get to zero? I hope so, right? I, I, it, it's going to be difficult, but if that's the commitment, but the steps away along the way is to get cleaner. And that's, uh, 
that is where I think the, the barriers break down is, hey, you have a goal, we have a goal. How do we get there the most economical and cleanest way possible? Yep. And I, I think that's awesome. So thank you so much for, for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. I've, I've learned enough. Uh, I've learned quite a bit today. And, and um, you know, I really look forward to further collaboration with UGO and, and, and really getting the opportunity to learn more about, uh, about geothermal energy in itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Joel, thank you for being on the show today. Before we sign off, where can people find you? Where can people get more information about DTEC and anything else that you'd like to say? Absolutely. So, um, you know, from a DTEC side, right, DTECdrilling.com, that's our website. You can find us on LinkedIn at DTEC Rotary Steerable. Um, on a greater scale, uh, you know, Scholler Blackman's website, um, they're an Austrian company, but um, you know, you can f- obviously find all of the, the, the differentiations they're, they're in and involved in as well. Um, you know, they, they support multi facets of multi industries as well. So, uh, again, thank you. Um, would love to further talk about rotary steerable, uh, for you listeners in the geothermal space or in the oil and gas space. But, you know, like I said, I think this technology is a very, um, very easy transition to, to getting to, uh, to, to geothermal applications. Yep, absolutely. Well, Joel, thank you again. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you would like to hear more of. If you have want more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. If you're into stickers... I have a way you can get some from OGGN. Go to the show notes, find the one question survey link, click it, fill it out. And if you do, I'll send you some stickers. Not me personally, but but somebody from the network. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email. Yes, send me an email. That email address is ets at OGGN.com. If you don't use email, find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.